0: Okay, so I want to start off with a little bit of a, of an introduction. Because I think a lot of people heard the term Yet Sahara. Probably have learned a little bit about it. Everyone knows the famous Gemara, Barasi Yet Sahara, Barasi Torah Tavlin, Gemara and Kedushin. I created the Yet I created the Torah as an antidote. And everyone, everyone knows that they have a Yet Sahara. Everyone knows that. And uh, there's surprising, uh, discrepancy in the ways that Yetzirah is presented. So, for example, uh, the Gemara Kedushin, which is source number one on your page, tells us, Tadur Kashi Yetzirah, is so evil, so bad, Shafilu Yotro Kororah, because even its creator calls it evil. Shinemar quotes the passage, the verse in Genesis, Ki Yetzirah, that the inclination of, of a person is evil from his youth. Which means that the Almighty who created something, usually the creator of something is someone who's going to see it in favorable light, yet the creator calls it bad. Now, obviously, the name Sahara, it's, it's bad. It's part of the name is Ra, which is bad. But the very opposing view we find in the Midrash, when the passage says, or so the verse tells us, Vayar el is called Shasavinei Tovmod, and the Almighty saw that everything he made, and behold, it was very good, so it says the Mitzvah Tov. When it says Tov, Zayetsar Tov, Meod Zayetsara. When the Torah tells us that the Almighty, so everything is that He made and it was built exceedingly good. Good is referring to the good inclination. Exceedingly good is referring to the bad inclination. So how is it possible that the same entity, the Yetsara, is on one hand called Ra and the Almighty calls it Ra, on the other hand it's called Tov or Tov Meod as well? And I think this really shows us why it's an important topic, because if we didn't have the eight Sahara, we would be angels. if we were to be angels, we'd be very holy. We're humans, we're not as holy. but you know what we have we have Torah, we have opportunity we have di- we're in live in a dynamic world because we're flawed. The Gemara tells us in Shabbos that when Moshe went up to heaven to get the Torah, the angel said, "Why is this human this Flesh and blood. Why is he here amongst us? And he had to respond by saying, "The humans are flawed, and therefore we have Torah. We have opportunity to to become greater than uh, than the way we are. We can change. Angels can't change. And I think that on one hand, humans are greater than angels because an angel cannot improve. We can improve, and therefore the Yetzirah is very good because life has meaning. Life has a purpose in it, because we are so terribly flawed with our yetsara. So it's a good thing because it means life matters. If we didn't have Yetzirah, it means that you cannot have meaning if there isn't opportunity or if there isn't change. Meaning is a function of change. We could change because we have yetsara, and we could fight it and overcome it and that makes us great people. Now, just as as a parallel to that, Adam Rishon, Adam before he sinned, he didn't have a yetzer After he sinned, he became yodetovara. The we think that Adam and Rishon made a terrible mistake, and we think he was duped into it with the deceptions of the Nachash. Truth is, the Gemara tells us that the Nachash never lied. The, the, the snake didn't lie. When it said that you'll become like God, Yoder, Tov, or Ra. he didn't lie. It told him exactly what's going to happen. It's describing you're going to have a Yetzirah, and you'll have Tov and Ra existing within you, and thus the opportunity for choice and change. We became like God, like the Torah says. This is not, not me speaking. The Torah says that you became like God because you have a Yetzirah and therefore we're living in this dynamic existence where we can make change, and that, or we can make choices. And like God, we can make choices. Uh, a, a stick, a, a rock, can't make choices. An angel can't make choices either. They, they they live on a plane, whatever the plane of pre-programmed reality is, whereas we live in a dynamic world, and therefore we can choose, and that is something fantastic. So how did Adam, why did Adam do it? Especially if he didn't have a uh, he didn't have a Yetzirah to dupe him into sin. So the bali say Adam Arishon had the choice. To eat from the tree, just like you have the choice to jump into a fiery furnace. If I if I showed you a fire, a ladba omer fire in Israel, and I said, "Can you or can you not jump into the fire?" You would say, "I can." I would never do it in a million years. It's it's silly to do it because it's harmful. So the way the Balamusar said it is that Adam and Rishon had a choice, a theoretical choice, to eat from the tree. But he did it even though it was insane to do it. And the reason why he did it is because he was looking at the Tov Ma'od aspect. Yes, it's crazy to someone to accept upon themselves something that even its creator calls bad, but ultimately, big picture, there is a certain benefit that humanity gains because we have a Yetzarah. It gives us the opportunity to overcome something. It gives us resistance, and therefore we can, uh, therefore he decided he opted in for that. He did us a favor. Right. So why did all the sin? Well, he did us a favor. Us, well, well, we learned, We look at Adam Rishon as being a composite of all humanity, right? He, he did, did. He made a decision. He made a decision to augment the purpose in our life. But well, without that, there would be no purpose. We not... Well, there was purpose of Adam Rishon. He had a, he had a capacity to sin, and he could have resisted it, and he would have had little purpose. Now there's opportunity for greater purpose. After Adam sins, we have a Yetzirah, and that really changes what life is. Life is, right the goal, the primary goal of life after this sin is now this battle, this war, this Milchemes HaYetzirah, as it's known, fighting the Yetzirah from within. Now, I want to say that in light of what we spoke about in the recent weeks, we talked about, we built a model where you have a pure soul before it gets in contact with any humans. And then it gets progressively less pure the more it gets attached (coughs) to the human and to this world. It gets attached to a body. It gets attached to this world. It gets the Yetzirah and it becomes progressively more impure. And the goal of life is to become a tzaddik, which means to have a pure soul, i.e. to rid yourself as best you can of the influence of the Yetzirah. And therefore, it makes sense what you see in number three on your list that Rabbi Yisrael Salanter wrote in one of his books, in one of his letters, The reason why a man was placed in this world, why are we here? What is, if you could distill the goal of life, to fight the So, we could even say that the goal of everything, all mitzvos, all Torah, all nidos, everything is to fight the Yetzerah. We want to get close to the Almighty. We want to have tveikos. And what's stopping us is the Yetzirah. Mitzvos and all the instructions we have in the Torah are there to help us achieve that. And thus, it makes sense to say that the purpose of everything is the fighting of the I And mean, I think this is really important. Because if we could say that this is really what all life is about, this battle, I think it's it's prudent for us to say, okay. Let's try to understand what the battle is all about, what it's oriented about, uh, what are the vulnerabilities of our enemy, and how do we potentially try to uh, conquer it. And indeed, we see that the nature of this battle is presented very much as uh, one of warfare. For example, the Mishnah tells us in Piratei Avos, a zehu Debar? HaKovesh es Yitzro, so it's an interesting word usage. Who is the mighty one? Someone who conquers their Yetzirah. It's almost as if you have a, a, a military objective to conquer something, and to be a Geber, to be mighty, is someone who conquers the Yetzirah, which really presenting in kind of military terminology. There's another less famous Gemara in the Dharim. The Gemara says, it brings up a, a, a Pasuk, a verse in Kohelas. ir a small city, v'anashim ba'amat, and few people inside the city. Uba'ala melech gadol, and a major king uh, came to it, v'savav osa, and encircled it, laid siege upon it. u'Bana aleh mitsudim gdol, and built fortresses surrounding the city. So a very strange Imagery we have being described here. Says the Gemara. What does this mean? What's this air? What's a small city? Zehadulf. That's the body. Anashimbaat, what are the various elements of that city? Those are that's the limbs of the person. It's encircled by this very mighty king. Who's that? That's the Yetzerah. He laid siege to our body. We're under attack. And he built these fortresses, and those are sins. And the verse continues, and ba'ish v'chacham. A person who was a miskein, who, who was a nebuch, but he's also very intelligent, very clever. That's the Yetzirah. And he saved the city with his wisdom. What's this wisdom? That's Chuvo umayisim tovim. The Adam lozakhar but the person doesn't remember this, uh, this savior. Why? Because when someone is involved in Sahara, they don't remember the Yetzer Tov. That's what the, the verse says. It builds this whole model. We have the human. And the human is under attack from all sides. He's being laid siege by the Yetzerah. And the Yetzerah is, is buttressing his attack on the city with sins. And the way to fight against it is with the Yetzir Tov, with the good inclination. And how so? With mitzvos and tshuva and repentance. So I think it's interesting that Chazal are portraying our battle really in, in military terms. And I think in uh, with the inspiration of the art of war, the first step of successful uh, military activity is you have to know your enemy. And I think that if we want to really understand what's the best strategies and tactics to undermine this formidable foe, we have to first learn about what it does to us. What What is the siege that we are subject to? And once we understand the vulnerabilities, or at least where the areas of conflict are, then we can understand how to engage upon the resistance. But also, I think we'll understand how does mitzvos and Tshuva, and Torah, how are they fighting back? So, A, what is the hindrance? What's the Yetzirah? And B, the methodologies that we're employing. The Torah just gives us instructions. We just get the Torah instructions. Sometimes we don't really connect the dots. How does, I don't know, mezuzah and Tefillin, and Shabbos, and Kashrus, all those themes, how are they contributing in the grander scheme of themes? So, I I want to try to look at some of the ways Chazal, some of the ways our sages present the Yetzerah, and just to see what we can draw out from that about what it is and how it operates. Because once we know what it is and how it operates, we understand how to fight back, and maybe we can understand how Torah and mitzvot play a part. So, the famous Gemara in Brachos is this talking about, it's talking about uh, prayer, and it gives a description of of a prayer that one of the rabbis would pray. Rabbi Alexandri, this Rabbi Alexander, went, after he prayed, he would say the following prayer, additional post-prayer uh, supplication. Rebona olam, master of the worlds, of the world, of the worlds. it's known before you. We want to do your will. The truth is, if you were to isolate our essence, if you look at our neshama, we want to do the will of God. What's the problem? Umima akiv. So, what is standing in our way? Se'ar shabi'isa, the yeast in the dough, vishibun malchios, and our submission to the king. You hear some venech may be your will before you, you'll save us from their hands, v'nashuv, and we will return, we'll return to do your will with our total heart. So, what he says is, is that we really want to do the will of God. It's just that there's two things standing in front of us. One of them is the yeast in the bread, which is the element in the food that causes bread to rise. And the other thing is Shibun Malchus, that we're subjected to the melech, to the king. The kings rule us, and that's what's stopping us. Very strange thing. So Rashi tells us right, a very famous Rashi, that the Sa'ar be Isa, this yeast in the dough, is referring to yetsera. Yei tzera ha who causes us to become like chametz, to get excited, so to speak, for sin, and Shibud Malchus. So my question, I think, just to try to understand what these themes are. What is Shibud Malchus? Why can't we fulfill Torah? Why can't we do the will of God because of Shibud Malchus? Shibud the, the king is in control. We're under the thumb of foreign leadership. What does that have to do with anything? Like, If you were to make a list of the things that stop us from observing Torah and mitzvahs and doing the will of God, I, I don't imagine that being submitted to the king is so high on the list. Maybe during the times of the Romans it was a bigger problem, but it seems strange. Like we think we have bad medos and that we were lazy and that we have other things that are distracting us. There's a lot of reasons that really stop us from observing. You can't say, oh, the government. The government's of the problem, like what Ronald Reagan said. right? The most terrifying sentence is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. The government's not here to help. <laughs> so I want to just try to understand what this Gemara means. I'm convinced that there are really two approaches that the Yetzirah uses in his war against us which is going to be very helpful for our resistance against him. And that's represented, A, by the yeast and the bread, and B, by the Sheba and Malchias. I.e., when Rashi tells us that this is referring to the Yetzirah, it's actually telling us the two different types of Yetzirah. One of them he describes very enigmatically, yeast in the bread, yeast in the dough. Other one is submission to the kingdom. What does that mean? So let's look at some of the sources here. So, Source number one, we've seen this before, is a debate between Rabbi Judah the Prince and Antoninus. And they're talking about at what point in the development of the child do they get a Yetzer But the words that they use are very uh, illustrative. Antoninus the Rebbe, says Antoninus to Rebbe, Me'emasai Yetzer Hara, Sholet ba'adam. When is the Yetzirah, When is Ra, when do they dominate the person? At what point of the development do they dominate the person? Which has yitzira and which has yitzia, from the formation of the child or from the exit of the child. And they debate it, ultimately they conclude it from the exit. But the word that it uses is sholet. Sholet's the word shlita, from control, from dominion, right? From, they have absolute, uh, dictatorship over the person. They're total bosses. That happens at birth. Which sounds interesting, like we're describing Yetzerah, potentially, as Shebod Malchios, and we see that it does use the term normally, uh, designated for a king, that there's, a king is a sholet, a sholet is a king, and that's a description of the Yetzerah's, uh, vise-like control that he has over us. And it happens at birth. Additionally, the Gemara in Shabbos tells us, we've seen this one as well, La Yeb el you should not have within you a foreign god, what does it mean? What is this foreign god that exists within the person? Ze Yetzirah. So earlier it describes the Yetzirah as a Sholate, as a control of a king. Now it's describing it as a foreign god, as a master, as, as a power over a person. And thirdly, we see, uh, very similarly, the Gemara in Kidushin tells us that Amr Ralevi misgaber Allah yom. The Yitzrah of a person overpowers a person every day. Another terminology of power over a person. That's number one. And I think the way the way my grandfather used to explain this was that sometimes when we follow the bidding of the Yitzra, it's not because we, we, we decide to do it, we're inspired to do it, we're motivated to do it, we, we're lustful, none of that. Sometimes we do it because we are we're just a serf. We just follow instructions without asking questions. There is a realm that the a power the Aura has over a person that we just obey, Their bidding, their instructions, the Yetzirah's instructions, he has control over us, and we never could imagine life any other way. I sometimes talk to students of mine, and just the notion of someone observing Shabbos. So that, it's so beyond the wildest imagination of some people to think that they could observe Shabbos that... It's not even an, like, it's not something you would consider. It just, it would be, cause, and the reason why is because the Eitzera assumed that control over the person in that area. And therefore, it's, it's treasonous to suggest otherwise. It's just, this is the way things are, and it's unimaginable to change. It's not like someone says, "Uh, nothing I desire in the world more. Than using my Photoshop. No, they are no desire. It's not like there's. It's all like the Eitzarot creates desire. With the not oh, you got, to, you have a passion, you have an inclination, you have a desire. No, it's just that they're, you know, they are a subject of the Eitzarot's kingdom. He tells them to to jump. They say how high, and that's why they sin. On one hand. Additionally, we have this yeast in the bread, and what the role that yeast plays in. In, uh, in, a, in a dough is really not nutritional. It doesn't contribute to the nutrition. It contributes to the development of the appearance, so to speak, of the nutrition. It changes the perception of the food, but it doesn't change the nutrition. So if you actually take a matzah that doesn't have any yeast and a bread, and you examine them, the, the, the ingredients are the same. They're both flour and water, but the only difference is one, you have yeast, and one, you don't have yeast. But the way it's perceived is dramatically different. One of them is this flat pancake cracker, flat cracker that's just, you don't even want, no one's inspired at all to eat it. On the other hand, you have the bread, which is very, very luscious and very soft and very melt in your mouth. And what this is describing another role that the Yetzirah does. The Yetzirah takes matzah, which you need, right? You need nutrition. You need sustenance. And it injects a little squirt of yeast into it. And what it does is it transforms something that you need, something that you need for your sustenance, something that the nutrition, it turns it into an experience. It takes all of this world and its pleasures and augments them and amplifies them and causes us to not see life clearly. We're here in this world, we know, as a means to get Olam Abba, to get the next world. Therefore, what's our role vis-a-vis this world? Well, this world, that's a means. This is a stepping stone towards a bigger goal. Says the Yetzirah, no, in this world, in the Masa, well, you need the sustenance, right? You need this world, right? We all need this world. But is it a focus, is it an ends, or is it a means? He turns it from a means into an ends. He throws a little dab of yeast into it and turns it into an experience. And that is tremendously harmful for a person because if you're living under the influence of the Eight Sirah, you change your priorities. This world becomes the purpose, next world you forget about. And that is the most harmful thing that could possibly happen. And we're under assault of the Eight because it's, it's, it's constantly forcing us to think about this world as a priority. And by doing that, we lose sight of Olam There is a Gemara, very hard to understand Gemara, that describes that someone, the greater someone is, the bigger their Yetzirah is. Now, that that might that might just that that might just be where the Yetzirah is located in these two arenas. It might be that it's more stacked towards one versus the other, and someone who is, let's say, Tishen will be stacked in the opposite direction. Uh The Gemara says in Kiddushin. So the Gemara says, Yitzhosh HaMizgaber Alam B'chol Yom. And the next Gemara says, Amar Ab Yitzchak, Yitzhosh Adam Mishchadesh B'chol So one is the, which means it renews itself every day. It has the element of chidush, of insight, of novelty every day. And these two, there's the Yitzhara of misgaber of overpowering, and the Yitzhara of mischadesh of uh renewal, of innovation, of excitement of the yeast in the bread and, uh, and that, and these are the two uh, approaches that the AIDS is using, uh, to attack us. I, I have a, um, a mushle, the like, parable to this, uh, to this idea. We have, um, if you go on a road trip, so you, you, you gotta stop every couple of hours to get, to get gas and to go to the bathroom and maybe you go inside and buy a little, Mountain Dew, whatever, right? All the kids suddenly need to go to the bathroom five minutes after you pass the guy. The rest stop—that's what. That's the way it always was. In Texas, they developed a new kind of rest stop. It's Bucky's, right? We have to stop Bucky's, right? So Bucky's <laughs> changes everything. Bucky's—it's—it's it's enormous. You've been through there, right? It's really big. It's—it's it's so clean. You can't imagine. You can lit the floors there, and they sell. They sell like toys and memorabilia, and people put up their yeah. people put up pictures <laughs> on the. Yeah, they it's a destination, and to me, this is a perfect example of what the Yitzhak. was R- Yitzha R- Yitzha R- like Bucky's, so we're we're on this road trip, and we're trying to get to a destination. And uh, you're a destination. You're in the car. You're cramped up, right? It's not the ideal conditions. And every once in a while, you got to stop off and re- kind of recharge, refuel, recharge. But you realize that you're just there to stop. Get the gas, get the necessities, get the fuel, inject some matzah, and continue on your journey. Comes along buckies and they say, no, 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 no. This is not just a stop along the way to just get. This is a destination. So Olam said this world, we forget You're in Bucky's, you, you settle down there, you, you, you go to all the attractions. You forget that you're on a journey. You forget like this. This is not suboptimal <laughs> conditions. This is the place where I want to go. I go there on a homemade trip. And that is very dangerous. Well, and not to adore the parties in this example, but in our example, because you could do that, and then you never get back on the road, and you forget about the road, and you just settle down along the way, and that is very harmful. now, I think another way, to, another way to present this idea is that the Eitz Ra, when it renews this world, it causes distortion. So the Gemara tells us that Olam this world is Doma LeChoshech, It's nighttime, and in nighttime, there's room for distortion. The very famous Maseil Secharim who tells us that someone who's under the thumb of their Yetzer Ra, they don't see th- truth. They don't. The reality is still reality, but they have no idea what the reality is. They don't realize they're on a road trip. They settle down in the rest stop permanently, and. The way he describes it, you can't see the truth. Misamis ain't of mamash, because the are ra literally blinds his eyes, and as if you walk in the darkness, and you walk in the darkness, how could you not get into trouble? How you cannot bump into things, and worse than that, worse than actually bumping into things, is mistakenly assuming that one thing is fusing, conflating two things with each other. That is indeed what the Yitzhak does. It causes this Chidush, this Sa'ar this Mishkarish al-B'choyom, this renewal. It changes the reality of our life by causing us to, to, to the, the, the truth is obscured. We don't see the truth, and therefore we confuse what's real and what's permanent and what's, what ought to be our purpose with what is ephemeral and transient and passing and ought to be nothing more than matzah that we just use along our journey now and 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 thus these two forces together are really uh, a fo- forces to be reckoned with with the ateira and you know when we sin uh, sometimes the sin is cuz you get so excited and so caught up with the desire that yeah, it's hard to fight. It's hard to, have to fight back because it's so overwhelming, and the Gemara even allows for that. And Gemara says sometimes the Eitzar is just more powerful than someone can imagine. We're going to read next week's parasha about uh, Judah. Judah sins with a prostitute who happens to be his daughter-in-law. Really a shameful, scandalous story. Well, certainly it's a scandal. So how? So so what, what happened over there? What's going on with Ye- Yehuda? who's was one of the tzaddikim. He's Going after a prostitute is really—it's really—it's really, it's really embarrassing. The story. So the hadras tells us is that the yetsira, the the malach al taiva, there was there's an angel who is in charge of the levers of of desire. He came and he just turned it all the way to the end and removed any nesaya, any any bechira. He he just upped the ante. He made it so irresistible that it was literally irresistible. And sometimes, well, we don't have that, but we we sin because there there's a certain degree of iris, irresistibility to sin. Okay, so we have so that's what the Eitzarot is. I think in a, in a simplistic level. Now, how would you combat that? So my grandfather used to always say is that if the Eitzarot comes with the well, sorry, we could sin because we're excited to do it. We could also sin because we're on we have a foreign god, we have a ruler, we have a master, we have a shalot. The Sarah just tells us what to do. We follow. We're just obedient without even being inspired, so to speak, to do that. Now, how would we fight, the f- f- fight back? we got to find a way to create a parallel in with regards to the holiness. We, too, should try to be inspired about mitzvahs, to try to find meaning and excitement and joy in their fulfillment, and also to incorporate within ourselves a commitment to do it even when we're not inspired. And kind of using these two powers that he has, the Karach a power of, of renewal that we have from the Yetzirah, we'll fight it with the power of renewal from the Yetzirah Tov. A power of overpowering, we'll fight it with overpowering with regards to Ruchnius. Now, if that's what the Yetzirah is. Just quickly, quickly to finish off here. So how do you fight the Yetzirah? I think there's a lot of different ways to fight the Yetzirah. It's a war. It's a war we're being attacked in multiple fronts. We're surrounded. We're under siege. And there's different ways to fight. Uh I would... Say perhaps that you want to weaken your enemy. You want to decimate the enemy it would be even better. Even better than decimating the enemy is turning the enemy into an ally or eliminating the existence of the enemy. And we find in Chazal variations of all these different ways to fight the Yetzirah because there are multiple ways. And indeed, that's, we'll do that hopefully, hopefully next year. I want to just finish off here with these last few sources here just to see how nicely this works out. Uh, so the Rambam tells us. says describing how do, how do you get it, how do you become a prophet? How do you become a navi? So we think the mind comes to talk to you. Rambam says no. You work on yourself. You fight your Eitzarah, and and you automatically bec- oh, become a prophet. Remember, we said our premise was that the only thing that really matters is fighting Eitzarah. That's the only thing that really matters. Thus, anything that matters is a result of that. Says the Rambam. Um, you do not have Yetzirah misgaber on you in any manner. What he's describing is that in the realm of misgaber, you overpower it. And automatically you have Navua. What's even, what's even greater than someone to be a Navi? To be a prophet? Someone to live in Olam Abba? The Gemara tells us in Baba Basra. Uh, two Gemaras, one after another. Three people tasted Olam Abba in this world. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And the very next Gemara, Shlosha Loshalat, Bahen Yitzhar. They didn't have the Shlita, the power of the Yitzharah on top of them. And who's that? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. This is my grandfather. I saw this last week. He says, when someone achieves a level that the Yetzirah has absolutely no shlith over, no power over them, they don't need to be misgabber. They don't need to overwhelm them. You know why? Because they reach a level where you're no longer fighting. If you're misgabber on your Yetzirah, if you're overpowering it, there's still a struggle. You're still involved in the struggle. You have to overpower it. Great, you're a tzaddik. But when someone is low shalop on the Yetzirah, there's no Yetzirah at all, i.e. the Yetzirah became good, he became an ally, he's not a threat anymore, then you're you're told all above. Then you have you're, ready, you're then you're even a higher level than a prophet. You're existing in, in this other world. Of course, we have to start from the bottom up. You know that's high level. But this really shows that there's different uh, elements of the Eitzar control over us and the way he engages with us in battle. And there's a whole series of ways that we can overcome and fight and battle back and hopefully be successful in this most vital journey of our lives.